This is Over the Ledge. On 98.1 WQAQ. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 17 of Over the Ledge. I'm your co-host, Connor Core, alongside Cameron Lavasser, as usual. Cameron, how you doing this week? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, my knees are pretty sore right now. Is that from like running outside at, in no, the snow? No, it's because I, I jumped off my shed roof like three hours ago, which well, maybe wasn't the smartest decision in the world. What was that? No. What was that for? Well, I was shoveling off the roof, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to like go back down the ladder to get up there because that would have taken too much time. So I just jumped off. And what I thought was like two and a half feet of snow, there was like a foot of snow and then the rest was ice. So Ooh, just went yeah. right onto the knees. But, you know, we're still here. We're doing good. Hmm. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. You know, I think you guys got the same ice storm up there that or snowstorm that we did down in Pennsylvania. But like we got like eight inches of snow which is a lot for around here, but I'm sure that's just like a normal dusting up, up in Maine. No, we, we got like, yeah, we got around eight. It wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, exactly. Like it's a normal dusting for you, but it's quite a bit up uh, down we, here. Honestly, we haven't gotten that much snow this winter. It's just, it's just been like an annoying winter. Cause like every day it's either it snows all day or it's mm-hmm. like negative 20. Yeah. It's yeah. It's crazy. But like I was up at five o'clock in the morning when we first got that snowstorm and then by like by the time i finished the first time going through the driveway it was there was already like another inch or two on the ground and i was like well where did where did all that stuff just come from do you shovel your whole driveway yeah like so my dad was uh, using the snowplow uh not the snowplow the um snowblower and i was pushing as well that was my question i didn't know if you like owned a snowblower no no yeah we do most definitely um but yeah, we only use it when it's get like when it gets above like five or six inches, because like the other stuff, it's light enough or it's it's not an, it's not enough in my dad's eyes to shovel it off to use the snowblower per se. So, All right. but um, yeah, it's the snowstorm was definitely interesting. It, it was the heaviest of the year so far. So it took till the end of January to get it, but we got it. So I think we're getting another one tomorrow. Up in Maine. Yeah. Yeah, we're not supposed to get anything like snow wise. It's just supposed to be uh, cold for the next few days here in Pennsylvania. Mm. I'd be, I'd be, I'm, I was telling my parents this. I'd be interested to see what it's like back at school, like how the facilities uh, like treated the snow and like all that stuff, because, you know, there's quite a bit of sidewalks, like literally everywhere on campus. So I think there's going to be a lot of ice. On camp, like on the yeah. sidewalks and stuff. Like yeah, they, I can imagine. when they the one time we got snow before we left and there was ice, like they didn't salt it too well. So yeah, I can imagine. I remember that. Yeah. Like now. Well, hopefully now that they actually did get a snowstorm, that they'll be on top of their game now. Yeah. Because hey, we gotta be, we gotta, we gotta get those grades up. Gotta keep them grades going. Class must begin. Although with Zoom, we could just do a Zoom class anymore nowadays. I so. prefer not. Yeah, me neither. I don't like it at all. Okay, so now that we uh, kind of introduced the episode and kind of you know talked about how much snow Maine and Pennsylvania have been gone, we're going to throw it now to our special guest who uh, graciously came on the show this week. Uh, his name is J.C. Shao, and here is our interview with him. 
Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for yet another episode of Over the Ledge. Uh, we mentioned who our guest was going to be last week in our last week's episode, and uh, he's here with us today. Uh, J.C. Shao is with us. He's the 2014 PA Basketball Gatorade Player of the Year for the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, he graduated from high school scoring over 2,000 points, which is quite a bit with a, in PA where there's no shot clock. Um, he also played football and was also recruited to play Division One. He was the number 19 player in the all-decade team for uh, our area in Northeast PA. Um, he was played semi-pro basketball for Omaha's Finest in a league called the Basketball League. Um, he was drafted by the Salt Lake City Stars in the third round of this past year's G League draft um, and is most recently playing with the Westchester Knicks. Um, JC, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Connor. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so we'll just jump right into the questions. So I'm more familiar than with you than Cameron is. So I've kind of know a little bit more of your backstory, but um, your dad coached at formerly Baptist Bible College and now is Clark Summit University for 20 years. Did you always know that basketball is going to be a part of your life? I would say, yeah. Um, like you said, my dad, he coached college basketball for 20 years at Baptist Bible College, like you said. And um, that was just something that we would always be able to do together. Uh, you know, something that I enjoyed doing was going to the gym and watching my dad's teams practice. And as I got a little bit older, you know, trying to join in with some of the drills and do things with the guys. Um, but it was just, a, you know, a part of our family right from the very beginning. So uh, can I say that I knew it back then? No, but looking back on it, definitely um, was going to be a part of my life. Yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely tell that for sure. So you're, you're the oldest of five younger siblings. How much of a role model did you try to be for your siblings being the oldest? I think that's something that's important to me. Um, I try to set a good example for my younger brothers and sisters. And most importantly, just by, you know, being a man of, of faith and a man of God. And, and I really cherish my relationship with the Lord very seriously and, um, just trying to model that for my brothers and sisters and what that looks like just with any different type of situation, whether it's handling success or handling failure on the other side of things. It's just making sure that you, your identity is secure and who you are in Christ. And that's something that's extremely, that's the most important thing to me, to me in my life. So um, it's definitely something that I don't take lightly is being the oldest of, of six kids and trying to set a positive example and be a role model for my brothers and sisters. Is that like a, like a level, level of leadership that you tried to take onto the basketball court and like when you were playing sports? I don't know if I ever actively looked at it that way, but I definitely think it translated because um, just being involved with people, right? When you think about sports and leadership and in any aspect of life, you're working with people. And so when you grow up in a big family, you learn to work with people or to not work with people, right? Because <laughs> you, you like yeah. to you know, bicker a little bit with our, with our siblings, but, um, anytime you, you're ex get that exposed to that at a young age, like how to work together and how to give up a little bit in order to achieve something as a common goal, you know, together, I think that growing up in a big family helped me in sports tremendously. Yeah. And from all the stories and interviews that I've watched and all the few questions I've asked already, how have you remain? Have you been able to remain so humble and always putting the team or your family over first before you? It comes from my relationship with God, and so uh, when you when I understand what's been done for me, right? Like I believe that Jesus Christ came to die for my sins and and 
raise again from the third on the third day. And, and through that action, I can have a relationship with him. And it's something that I don't deserve. So when you look at life that way, and I'm already receiving the greatest gift I could ever receive, and I'm able to um, pray and grow and, and learn. It's, it's a relationship with God. It's not like a list of religion, do's and don'ts. Oh, I can do this, can't do that. Uh, I'm constantly trying to grow in my relationship with God. And so out of that, you you automatically are going to have an attitude of humility because you understand what's been done for you and how undeserving I am of that. And that is what true humility really stems from. It's not thinking less of myself because I still have confidence in my identity. I have confidence in the abilities that God has given me. And it's okay to want to go and achieve and, and do things with your life. But if it's only about you, then you're really missing the big picture. And um, that's, it's a lot easier said than done. It's, it's not something that I'm going to sit here and claim to, you know, be perfect at, but I, I know that with God's help, I can do those things. So uh, that is where the source of my humility comes from is my relationship with God. Yeah. It's definitely something you don't hear about nowadays where people are open as open as you talking about their relationship with Christ. And I think it's really good to hear uh, once in a while, almost like a feel good story, but it's all you've ever known. So it's great, great to hear. It's the most important thing to me. I mean, if I, if we can talk sports, we can talk all these things that, that I love to talk about, but um, if I could just, I mean, you guys asked me point, point blank, so I'm going to give you the straight answer and, and that's, you know, I believe in it and it, I'm going to, live my life according to it. So it's, it's so important to me. Yeah, I mean, with all that humility, you've also had an incredible amount of individual success. And in high school, not only were you an incredible basketball player, you were also a pretty good football player as well. What was the balance like playing both sports? And did you ever consider playing football at the college level? So the first part, to answer your first part, what the balance like between both, I think they complemented each other really well and here's what I mean by that by playing football in the fall I was able to kind of give my body my mind a break from basketball and then by playing basketball in the winter and the spring usually and then throughout the summer and then it would transition to football like you're um you're working different muscles right like we hear I, I see a lot of things today about like is it important to specialize in one sport as a as a young child or is it better to play multiple sports and when you look at a lot of professional athletes or, you know, we're watching games on TV and you see the different sports that these men and women played when they were younger. I think it's so beneficial as an athlete to play different sports and do different things because you're developing a different skill set for every little thing, you know, a cut here, a move this way, strength, power, speed, all those different things. Um, and you're competing and it's great to, to learn how to compete in different ways. Um, and then, did I consider playing football in college? Yes, I did. Um, I, uh, I made the decision to commit. I committed to Bucknell right after, right at the end of my junior year of high school. Um, but at that point, when I committed to Bucknell, I was still looking at uh, schools to play football at. I had three offers at the time to play football. So I had had significantly more offers to play basketball at that time, but um, football was something that I was still very passionate about and was, and was considering playing. Yeah. It's definitely uh, something again, like what, what I keep saying, like with your relationship with Christ, it's not often that you hear a lot of athletes who have success, like you've had in the past where they're playing multiple sports and 
having the opportunity to be good at both. It's um, like I keep mentioning, it's really something to great to hear that you're able to talk about that, those types of things. Yeah. I, I just, um, you know, if I could give any bit of advice to youth athletes out there or parents with youth, you know, kids that are involved in youth sports is let them, you know, get them playing everything and anything, because, you know, it's, you see a lot of overuse injuries with, boys and girls that are just constantly doing the same movements over and over again. And, and I mean, there's benefits to training and, and working on your game. And obviously that's a, a big part of it and a big piece of it. But, you know, when you're so young, you're, you're building so much of a base. And I think playing baseball as a kid, I think playing, you know, football and basketball in high school and, and working at them to try to be the best I could be really complemented one another. Like you said, you ended up committing to Bucknell at the end of your junior year. Why did you choose there at first? So I really, in, in I, the idea of going to a small, like a mid-major, smaller school and playing a big role early on as like a freshman was appealing to me. And that's something that I prioritized at that time. And I really wanted to play and compete right away when I, when I had a chance to, uh, to do that. And I felt that I had a chance to do that at Bucknell. Um, and then, you know, when you're choosing to, to pick a college, there's a lot of things you're just praying about it. And, and any type of big decision, you guys have made decisions on, on going to college or, you know, big decisions in your lives where you just get that, that gut feeling. And I went with it. So um, that was, you know, kind of the two biggest things I wanted to go to. And another thing too, was I wanted to be close to home. Um, being from Northeast PA and Bucknell is only about an hour and a half hour and 45 minutes away uh, of a drive. And so being able to be close to home and have my family be a part of my collegiate athletic experience, come to the games and things like things like that. And um, you know, so when I transferred from Bucknell to Binghamton, I, I stayed local and that was, that was important to me. Yeah. Staying local. Like I noticed that doing when we were doing, when I was doing my research that, the head coach when you played at Binghamton was a Scram guy. You know, you had Pete Pete Rose, who graduated from Scram Prep, also went to T- play Yeah, Binghamton. Timmy Rose, yep, Timmy Rose. And Tim Rose, yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, Pete Rose, baseball player, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> and then um, Rinaldi from Dunmore. I can't remember his first mm-hmm. name. They, yep, Johnny Rinaldi. That, yeah, John Rinaldi. Was, did they, like, kind of have your ear when you were kind of deciding to transfer to Binghamton? And, like, how much did they – those four those – three guys, excuse me, have an impact on your decision going to Binghamton? Uh, so Coach Dempsey had a big impact on that. I mean, when I decided to transfer, the way the transfer process works is you get your – you now they have like the, the transfer portal, right? Kids mm-hmm. go into the transfer portal. And it, similar kind of idea, but you had to get your release from the current school that you're at. So what happened with me was I was a freshman at Bucknell, and the coach that I played for, Coach Dave Paulson – took left after my freshman season and took a job at George Mason university. And I was dealing with a foot injury at the time. I played through my freshman season with a foot injury and I was going to need, I was looking at some extended time off and I was a little apprehensive about a new coach coming in and not knowing my game and a coach that didn't recruit me. And his first impression of me was going to be sitting on the side with my foot in a boot, which is what happened for, you know, I missed 
over a, a year, close to a year and a half out of basketball with this, with this foot injury that I had. So I felt that I needed to make a change. And so I wanted to go to a place where I would be playing for a coach that knew my game coming out of high school and would be able to kind of be patient with me as I recovered from the injury. And obviously when you transfer schools, you have the red shirt year anyway. So it was kind of, I was kind of looking at it as like not so much of a detriment as some kids do today where you're like, Oh, I don't want to sit out a year. They're trying to get right on the court. Whereas I was looking at it as, okay, this is a chance for me to get healthy without missing any time. Um, so that coach Dempsey, you know, we definitely talked about that. And then when I got my release from Bucknell, Binghamton was the first visit that I took. And before my visit to Binghamton, Johnny Rinaldi was a year older than me in school. And he actually, he was either a year or two older than me. I can't remember mm-hmm. at this time. Um, but I called him and cause we'd played AAU together with uh, JB hoops and, and coach Bucci. So I called him and kind of got the lay of the land and kind of got a feel for things. And then once one, when I committed to Binghamton, I don't, Timmy and I came in at the same time. So we never talked Timmy and I about like, Hey, let's go to Binghamton together. But when we got there, we were roommates uh, our first year together. So, I mean, Tim and Tim and I became really good friends and have remained great friends to this day, having spent four years there together. So um, definitely was a big part. All three of those guys played a big part in my experience, both in getting me there and then also uh, during my time there. Yeah. I was at, when I was, again, when I was doing my research, I know I saw the video Binghamton university put together of um, the Timmy, three of us. John, yeah, the three of you, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he yep. said that they're actually, he's actually two years older than you. And uh, you guys like kind of joked about um, who would win in a one, one-on-one in football. Cause he was a um, receiver yes. at Dunmore and you played yes. defensive back as well. So uh, it was two years older than you. So I thought I'd fact check you right there. <laughs> and a fun fact about John Rinaldi in football is I think he set the state record for interceptions in a game. He had five interceptions in a high school I, Yeah, that, that was a part of that video that he set the PA state interceptions in one game, yeah. Which is incredible to think about because mm-hmm. people don't throw the ball that much in Pennsylvania oh, yeah. at these PA high school football. So to get Yeah, five definitely a run-first area. Yeah. Was there one game or one particular moment from your time at Binghamton that like stands out the most? Uh, there are a few. Um, we struggled for some time when I was at Binghamton to win some games, but we did my senior year. We won the first conference playoff games. I think since coach Dempsey had got the job there uh, when we beat Stony Brook in the quarterfinals to go to the America East uh, to advance in the America East playoffs that was a really cool memory because um, just being there and experiencing some of the struggles that we did, and then finally being able to, you know, taste some, some success and uh, have something, you know, leave a mark, you know, when you can look back and say like, Oh yeah, we were a part of that team that Binghamton had really struggled since um, they went to the tournament because they had, they had a lot of guys getting some trouble and there was a scandal at the school. And so, they kind of brought in a bunch of new people and, and struggled to win games after that. So, that was a big moment for us, for me and for our team. And then individually, um, being able to hit a game-winning shot at the Barclays Center right before Christmas uh, was cool because, uh, you know, anytime you're going on Christmas break as a college athlete, like, you get excited. And then that last game, you want to kind of leave on a good note so that you can really enjoy your break. 
and uh, and then playing at an NBA arena and all those things would have been a great experience. And then being able to hit a game winner on top of that was was really special. Um, and then I think trying to trying to remember. Um, so my first year of eligibility there would have been my redshirt sophomore year at Binghamton. Uh, I I scored 34 points and hit a game winning shot with like you know 16 seconds left. I think it was. And that game happened to be on my father's birthday. So they, my parents were able to come to the game and those are some special memories that I'll take with me for sure. I mean, there were many others, but um, those three stand out in particular. Yeah. yeah you're go ahead. Go the ahead. game against Stony Brook was actually going to be my next question. What was kind of like the mindset that you guys had going into that game that kind of allowed you to pull up, pull off that upset. So if, if I remember correctly, our, the way our schedule was kind of playing out, we, we struggled. And then towards the end of the year, we were starting to play some more consistent basketball. And um, we were playing better as a team. We were developing kind of like uh, a more diverse attack. So we had a really talented freshman, uh, Sam Sessoms, who was our leading scorer. And then Caleb Stewart and myself were kind of like the uh, second and third leading scorers. And we both Caleb and I were like picking up our game and Sam was doing his thing. So like we were, we were feeling good about our balance offensively the last like month of the season. And, and we won, I think it was like our last three road games of the regular season. Um, I think we had beaten like New Hampshire and then we beat UMass Lowell and we beat Maine, like all on the road. So, and during that time, we didn't win one home game. It's not like we went on a huge streak. It was just like win one on the road, lose one at home, win one on the road, lose one at home. So when we went to Stony Brook, we were like, we've been winning on the road, like the whole month, you know, and, and like, we got this. And obviously you're saying that, but then like the game starts and we got out to a huge lead. I think we were up like 25 points and then they started to slowly creep back into it. And it got a little, it got a little fuzzy at the end of the game. But um, I just remember like, we got like the stop that we needed and the ball kind of like leaked out and Sam is dribbling it down the court for late. And you just know, like in that moment, you're going to win the game and, and just jumping around with my teammates. And, and that was like, that was one of the best memories of, of my time. You know, you work so hard and you want to experience success and, and to be able to do that with those group of guys, that was really special. Yeah. Before we keep like asking you uh, questions about your time at Binghamton and move up into the professional ranks um, you mentioned your a time at playing AAU basketball with JB hoops and um, John Bucci. And unfortunately you and I both know that he passed, I think it was already two years ago, which is crazy to think mm -hmm. about how yeah. much of an impact did his AAU program and him specifically have on you uh, playing basketball. Coach Bucci had a huge impact on my life and he was for me, as well as a lot of other young men that came through and played for his program, a father figure. Now I've been blessed with a great father and, you know, my dad's my best friend. Um, I, I, he was the best man at my wedding. Like I'm very close with my father. Coach Bucci was almost like, he was like a supplement in a different, totally different type of way. Um, he was able to teach me some things about life. And I learned a lot of hard lessons while playing for coach Bucci that helped prepare me for adversity that I would face in college that I'm facing in the pros. Now um, he had a huge impact on my life and uh, I miss him very much. And I'm very grateful to have had the time that I had with him. Um, it was funny. Like I, when he died, I was back, I was working through, I had Achilles surgery um, right after 
well, after school or after I graduated college, I should say. So I was done with school. I had Achilles surgery. So I was working actually for coach Bucci at the time he, he passed away. So um, I was glad that I kind of got to get back into his life on a more like daily basis. You know, you're, he, I need you to do this. I need you to do that, that, those type of things. Those are the conversations we were having and I was seeing him every day. So he's, you know, teasing me and, you know, busting my, busting me a little bit. Um, so uh, I, I'm glad that we, that I had that time with him and, and he's missed very much. Yeah, I can definitely attest to that. I didn't have as much experiences with him, but whenever I would see him, when I would be playing AAU, he would always be like teasing on me, having fun, making jokes. But then when it came to tryouts, like every every spring, he always told you that, you know, if if you didn't want to play, the door is right there. Like there's the you door. Want, <laughs> yeah, there's the door. Exactly. Yeah. And I had the opportunity to play uh, under him, like a, in a game that one of our coaches couldn't be there at Spooky Nook in uh, Lancaster. And although we unfortunately lost the game, you know, in that small time, I still had the great opportunity to learn one or two lessons, like even if it was basketball specific, not necessarily about life. And it's a, uh, it tells, it tell, it told a lot about him for sure in that small moment. For- mm-hmm. Yeah. He was a, he was a, a interesting character, but a, a heart of gold. Yes, I can agree. Yeah. Cameron, you got a question? Yeah. I mean, if we, if we kind of want to go back to Binghamton a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, I wanted to ask about when you set the school record for threes against Maine when you hit 10. What was that kind of experience like? That was, um, I mean, it was a great experience. Uh, but (laughs) the, the whole, that was like during that period of time where we were kind of starting to find our rhythm as a team and, Um, I was, I had really struggled shooting the ball, uh, early on in my senior year. And, um, I started to find some rhythm towards the end of the year. And that, and that was, you know, evidenced in that game for sure. Uh, my teammates did a great job finding me. And then it was just like building, I just kept building confidence. And, um, from that leading up to that game and going forward from that game, uh, it really helped me just kind of, um, find consistency in my shot and, uh, when we were playing them, it was a close game. It was a close game, I think for the first half. And then we kind of started to pull away a little bit in the second half. And, um, I think we're maybe up like 18 to 20 points. And at that time, someone had told me, I had no idea about the record until someone had told me like I had eight and the record was eight, which I think I had said it. And then Sam had tied it. So like we had, you know, eight was the record and they were like, you know, JC, get, get another three off. You know what I mean? And so like, I was looking for it. Obviously, I think I made one with maybe like two minutes left in the game. And then they came right back to me and I just took another one and, and made it. So, uh, that was, you know, that was special and that was fun. Um, the thing about individual achievements is like, you always want them to be associated with a team doing well and winning. So the fact that we were able to win that game by so many points was great and just kind of kept built rolling our confidence into the playoffs. I think we, we played that game and then we lost at home, but then right after that, we went to Stony Brook and, and won in the playoffs. So that was, um, you know, all those things kind of led to that. So that I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. You know, playing at a mid-major school, you uh, get the opportunity once in a while to play against some power five uh, colleges as well. Was it a, like a surreal experience to play against schools like Penn state, Michigan, Villanova, and, teams that you might've ended up rooting for, like when you were younger in the NCAA tournament or something like that, what was that experience like? 
those are great experiences. And when you're, when you're in those games, you, you want to, you want to play with those teams. You want to, you know, try to knock them off. Obviously it's a big, uh, it would be a big upset and, and you're, you're heavy underdogs, but I mean, like, I remember when we played Villanova, I was a freshman at Bucknell. Like I, I almost went to Villanova and like, I was like, you know, familiar with their team. And cause I had gone on visits there and like watched those guys play and been in the locker room with them. So like, I wanted to take it to them, you know, and, and that, that was, that's kind of the mindset you, you adopt when you're in those games and when you're playing them, uh, the most fun I think I ever had in a, like one of those big uh, games against those big schools was when we were playing Michigan, my senior year, they're number two in the country undefeated. And we're playing them first day after first game after Christmas. So like none of the students are there, but the game was still sold out and we are playing them tight. I think we were down like five at halftime and then we're into the second half. And we, we up until the under eight media timeout. So like the first, 32 minutes of the game we're down five still with like 740 something left in the game and we end up losing by 20 because it just got out of hand right at right at the end um but you could feel the the tension in the arena of like you know the chrysler center i think it was like i don't want to exaggerate i want to say maybe like 16 to eighteen thousand people in there and like a sold out game against little binghamton right but they're the number two in the country so like everybody wants to come see them play because they're undefeated and they're doing really well and we had them nervous you know we had all the, the people in the crowd nervous i don't know if we had the, the michigan team nervous yet but um that was like super fun you know every possession was just like the, the crowd would just try to pump them up and, and we're like come on now you know what i mean like let's let's keep let's stay in this thing but uh yeah good good memories i mean villanova is a really sweet place to play they they pack it out um when we played penn state that was a cool game uh for for me being from pennsylvania um trying to think of some other memorable games that we played vcu was like a really we got blitzed by vcu but that was a very cool environment to play in um so yeah i mean those are experiences that i'll be able to to tell my kids about hopefully someday yeah uh your junior year you guys played at like a beginning of season tournament in cancun what was playing there like oh uh, that was a that was a super fun trip uh we played two games down there but we were down there for like five days and it was a part of uh you played like two games in the states against teams and then two games down in cancun so um just being a part of that tournament was super fun and I don't want to say it was like vacation because you still wanted to stay like locked in on the games and stuff, but we played a, we played a game, our last game in Cancun and had like the rest of the day and didn't fly until the next day. So like being able to just hang with the team and, and be able to kind of enjoy the resort and stuff like that. Uh, super fun times. I mean, I was, you know, you have like your iPhone and you got like the memories that'll pop up every once in a while, like, Oh, five years ago or four years ago, whatever it was. Um, I think it was maybe four years ago now that we were in Cancun. Um, but that just popped up. Like it would have been in around November. Uh, and I was like, man, that was really four years ago. That was a great time. So I'm just like, send that out to all my, my teammates and be like, man, good times. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, not every day that you get to wake up, see the beach and then go play basketball games. So definitely. We'll yeah. Especially that. somewhere, somewhere where we're from in Northeast PA, when there's beaches, the closest yeah. beach, probably like three hours away and something. Yeah. Like that, so. And in November, you're not going to the beach up here. So oh, yeah. yeah, definitely not. Yeah. 
so you kind of we've kind of touched on it a little bit here and there uh, with your your relationship with your dad. Um, how has he been able to be a mentor and a father, like playing those two, wearing those two separate hats? Um, and how have you been able to go to him for like advice, not only in like basketball when you're playing now, but also in life as well? Yeah, I'd say um, first and foremost, my dad has taught me like the most important thing is living my life for trying to teach me how to live my life for the Lord and to, and to please God with my life. Um, and my, my, both my parents, my mom and my dad, um, I grew up in a Christian home, going to church and stuff, but they really modeled it for me because there comes a point when, as you guys are experiencing now, like you go to school and you get to make your own decisions and you get to do whatever you want with your life. And, uh, obviously there's consequences to those decisions and you learn that as you kind of go through it. But, um, the biggest thing that they taught me is like, there's, ooh, I think I, something just came up on the zoom, uh, my fault. Um, but, uh, yeah, just being able to make decisions for myself, but make decisions based on truth and where do you find truth? And, and I believe that the truth is found in the Bible. And, um, you know, my parents taught me that and my dad taught me that. And then from a basketball standpoint, a lot of those life lessons transfer into basketball and vice versa. The lessons that you learn in basketball or in sport, discipline, teamwork, sacrifice, um, understanding that you discipline yourself now to try to achieve later or, or experience a reward later, denying yourself in the moment so that you can have what you really want down, down at the end of the line. Um, those are lessons that are always great to have, you know, to live a life of, of significance and a life of fulfillment, um, you know, where you can truly better others around you and, and serve other people and make their life better because, that's what it's about. Uh, um, you know, achieving and success, people define success so subjectively, but you, you want to not just have a life of success. You want to have a life of significance because that's how people are going to remember you. They're going to remember the way you made them feel. Um, did you make them feel valued and important because they are important and, and everybody needs to, to know that. And I think my parents, my dad, uh, really helped me with those things. I mean, kind of going back to basketball a little bit, um, after you did graduate from Binghamton, you I know you dealt a little bit with that Achilles injury that you mentioned earlier. Throughout that whole time when you were rehabbing, was it that you always had like the goal of continuing to play basketball and looking for that professional opportunity? Yeah, I, I definitely had to stay in that um, because I was married. Um, you know, your life changes and there's different priorities in your life, but when I decided to, you know, I was doing the physical therapy, I was trying to get my ankle, my Achilles better, and then just opted to have the surgery. Basically by me opting to have the surgery, I was saying like, I'm going to, I said to myself, like, I'm doing this so that I can come back and play basketball because my injury was at the point where I could not play basketball and be without pain. Like it was just bothering me that much. Now you can go, I could have gone and lived a, I don't want to say regular life, but you know what I mean? Like I could have not played basketball. And if I wasn't trying to play basketball, I would have opted not to have the surgery, but I, I opted to have the surgery because I wanted to come back and play basketball at a competitive level. So that drove, definitely drove me through the rehab and, and it's a long process and it's a lot different when you're doing it 
on your own, as opposed to like, I had had surgery. I wasn't playing for any team. I was unsigned and unemployed from a basketball perspective. Um, that's why I was working with coach Bucci and, uh, and the group down at riverfront after he passed. Um, so you, you're just on your own. You got to take responsibility for getting, you know, making sure you're going to your rehab and getting all your work in and, and, still being a professional in your mindset of like, I'm going to do this someday again and believing in that and gaining confidence back. It's, it's been a long road because I mean, I had the surgery and then there's the COVID year and nobody would sign me because I didn't play the previous year. So I basically missed um, two seasons of basketball and um, yeah, that's a challenge that I'm still working to overcome in my professional career. Yeah. So you kind of talked about the professional career. Um, so you did eventually make it to a semi-pro team. I mentioned it earlier, the Omaha's finest. What was that conversation like with the, with that team when you eventually get signed and now you completed your first season? So what was really unique about the team in Nebraska was, and the TBL league was that the owner for that team was my age. So he was a, he's playing in the G league now, actually. Um, we, we've, we have the same agent and I got to know him through off season training that my agent has a connection in Sacramento, California. So at some, at points during the off season, I'll go to Sacramento and work out with this, with the, his partner. And there's a big group of guys that are with the same agent that we all play, you know, train, practice, weightlift, everything. Um, so I got to know him through that. And then he was an owner. He wanted, he was trying to put a team in this league, and so he called me and he knew that I hadn't been playing. And he was like, you know, are you still, what, what, what's the deal with you? Like, you want to play? Like, how's it going? And I was like, you know, let's do it because I needed a chance to kind of get my feet underneath me and start playing basketball competitively again. And, you know, I'd been working out and playing in men's leagues down at riverfront and stuff like that, but that's a big difference from playing professional basketball. So, uh, that was a great experience for me to just kind of get my confidence going again and realizing like, Hey, you know, I can do this. So let's keep going with it and um, let's see where, where it can take me. So that season went from like early, excuse me, end of March to like early July um, played in 24 games. I think I, I played and uh, was able to do okay. Uh, play our team made the playoffs and, and we had a decent, a decent season. So uh, that was more for me, I think, than anything, as far as like, when I say more for me, like the teams in the G league, I don't know how seriously they looked at the Omaha stats, the, the TBL stats. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't, but personally I gained a lot of confidence from playing against players that in the, they were in the TBL, but they had played in the G League in the past. They had had good overseas careers in the past. Like there were some good players in the TBL last year and being able to play well and compete and do what I could do against them. That gave me a lot of confidence. Yeah, like like you mentioned with the G League, after after you played there for the season this summer, you got drafted into the G League. How did you kind of react when you were drafted? Like what was that whole experience like? Oh, I was excited. Uh, I did not know if I was going to get picked up in the draft because just the lack of resume that I have had to this point. So 
Uh, my agent was telling me a couple of teams to look out for. And the team that actually selected me, Salt Lake City, was not one of those teams. So I was like kind of thinking there's three rounds of the G League draft. So I was checking it kind of like midway through the first round then checking it through the second round. It's like a, a stream. So you kind of like refresh the page and, and you can kind of see who's picked. And so after the second round, you know, I'm sitting in the living room with my wife and I'm like, you know, Cal, I don't think I don't think I'm getting picked up or whatever. And then I get a call from a number that I don't know. And I'm like, Ooh, let me, let me pick this up. And it was the, the stars. So I was very excited. And um, when you get drafted in the G league, it, that's not a guaranteed like roster spot. So I was like, I was super pumped, but I was also like focused, you know, and motivated, locked in to, to try to make the team in training camp. And thankfully I did um, make the team, make the team in training camp and, and played with them for about a month and a half. And then uh, I, I got released in early December. And so like th this whole journey, you know, I got released in early December and then went a couple of weeks on the waiver wire, got picked up by the Westchester Knicks. And then I, I just recently got released by the, the Knicks on Monday. So like, it's been a up and down and up and down. So I'm, you know, waiting for the next opportunity, but um, just continuing to, to work and stay ready. And it's good for me too to, to really trust the Lord's plan for my life and, it's easy to talk about it when things are going well, but it's, it's harder to live it out when, when you don't know when your next opportunity is going to come or if it's going to come or um, what it's going to look like when it, when, when it does come. So uh, a lot of good lessons that I'm, that I'm learning right now. So uh, that was a long winded answer, but uh, yeah, the, the G league draft was in October and, and I was super excited to get picked up. Yeah, it's definitely not something you would hear about where it's just a stream where you're thinking of the NBA where they have this whole right. event at the Barclays Center or wherever it may be in years past. But um, when you got drafted by the Salt Lake City Stars, somebody in your draft class that is more of a has more of a brand per se and global name, a Zaire Wade, uh, son of Dwayne Wade. What was your experience like talking with him, uh, practicing, shooting, playing games with him and then? like how was what was that experience like yeah I mean it's uh it's kind of funny because he's got this you know Zaire's got this great following on social media and 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 he's a 19 year old kid you know like yeah he's, he's the got same a lot age of pressure. as pressure yeah. right he's got a lot of pressure on his shoulders you know his father's Dwayne Wade and his father owns the jazz you know part owner of the jazz and he's working through a lot of different things. And, uh, I, when I was there, I just tried to be like a big brother to him and just take him under my wing with as much as I could, because I was still kind of going through the first time for me too, you know, like we're going through it together. So, um, but like just little things, just talking to him and trying to keep him, keep him positive, keep him upbeat and, uh, just be, be a resource for him. Like it was one, something small that like, comes to mind is like he ate thanksgiving dinner with us you know like those type of mm -hmm. things that the camaraderie and you and you you know my wife and i hosted a little thanksgiving for some of the teammates that they wanted to come through and zaire came through so it was like you know you're you're i'm talking to family on a facetime and being like yo you know Dwayne wade's son's coming over for thanksgiving but like it's i didn't ever really saw him as Dwayne wade's son mm -hmm. when i'm talking you know when i'm interacting with him it's just z it's zaire you know he's he's his own person. He's his own kid. He's trying to find his way and, and create his career for himself. So uh, I'm, I wanted to be a, a help to that as much as I could. Uh, another guy that was on that roster that I kind of wanted to ask about was uh, former Celtics first round pick Carson Edwards. What was kind of your experience playing with him? Like, 
it was cool, man. I mean, it was great to just be in the mix with guys that I'd watched on TV, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, I didn't really get to know them personally, but you, once you get to know them, like they're just, they're, they're people, you know, just like you and me and they have fears and, and insecurities and, and they're good at this or not good at this. Like, so, you know, Carson, very talented basketball player and a nice guy, you know, it was, it was good to compete against him in practice and, and just try to learn from him. I tried to just watch and observe as much as I could from the guys that, you know, that I had observed their success on the basketball court and what do they do and how do they, you know, act and, and just try to be a sponge. That's a kind of a cliche term, but literally just soak everything in and, and all right, this, I like what this guy does and this guy does this well. So I'm going to try to do that. Or, you know, I don't really like what this guy does and I'm going to try to not do that as much, you know, those type of things. So that was my experience with Carson. Um, and you know, I'll root, I'll root, I'll be a Carson Edwards fan. Yeah. Um, so most recently with the, uh, Westchester Knicks, when did, you know, how was that process? Like, cause you, like you mentioned, you weren't, you were only on the team for about a month. Um, I guess in the G league and as more of a business in general, how has the, the entire professional career been with like, uh, being waived, be getting picked up, moving constantly. Like how is that traveling as aspect beyond basketball? Like it's challenging. Um, and as someone who's trying to kind of find my way in the pro basketball ranks, trying to figure this out, um, you know, I'm, I'm learning. I gotta, I gotta learn from these experiences. And, um, so like, going from one team to the next and, and like you understand it's a business, it's not personal. Um, but it is, you're competing. And, and like, now that I'm out of a job, like I'm trying to take somebody else's job if I can be afforded an opportunity. So, and then when I have a job, other people are coming for my job and it's not, it's just the nature of professional sports. And I relish the opportunity to compete. Um, and, um, but the travel and stuff like, for example, like when I was with the Knicks, I, I lived in a hotel for the last three weeks. So um, that that is part of the experience, uh, part of that experience. When I was in Salt Lake, I had an apartment. Um, but like the thing with the Knicks was a little bit more um, uh, unstable for me, you know, in terms of like did not know how committed they were going to be to me long term. So uh, you kind of get that that feel for it. And um so yeah, it's it's a learning experience. I'm trying to. They, I did get to, a chance to play some minutes though with the Knicks, which I was really grateful for, and I'll learn from this experience. And I'll just kind of almost like notches in the belt, right? Like you just kind of keep, you just keep plugging away. And um, the biggest thing that I can do from from this point forward is is like do my best to not repeat mistakes that I've made. And like I kept saying, I keep saying, learn from this experience, but what does that look like? You know, like I I need to respond to challenges and improve myself throughout this process of, you know, getting signed, getting cut, getting signed, getting cut, um, and, and not allow my mindset and my, my, my psyche, my confidence to be, to be hit because I'm going to be honest with you guys. It's not, it's not an enjoyable uh, experience to get cut, but, um, it's a part of being a professional and I I'm going to handle it professionally and I'm going to make myself better for it. 
I think I think that's a really good way to wrap it up. You, I think you really put that well there. Um, we thank you so much for coming on today. We really appreciate yeah, we it. We really do. I thanks for having me. Guys. Yeah, JC. I was telling uh, Cameron before you came on that uh, I told you to wear a Steelers jersey just to like you know outnumber uh, outnumber Cameron because he is you know he got Troy Polamalu's jersey. I got I got Ben Roethlisberger's jersey on right here. You know there one you last go. ride with him. One uh, last ride. One, yeah, I got I got one more question for you. If that's all right, more yeah, towards yeah, the Steelers sure. specifically. So TJ Watt set the single season record for sacks this season. Should he finally get the defensive player of the year award over Aaron Donald and all these other great defensive players? Man, I've been frustrated for TJ Watt two years in a row. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I think is could hold him back is that the Steelers defense is not as formidable as it's been, you know, like I think they're last in the league in, in run defense. Yeah. And it's like, that's not the Steelers. Like what's going on. It's really unbelievable that they've made the playoffs because, you know, I, I'm sure you as a fan, like I'm sitting there Sunday night watching the game and I'm uh, the Raiders game and the Chargers. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like we win <laughs> the Jaguars lose and this is going to end in a tie. Like you got to be kidding me. But, um, no, I, I hope that TJ Watt wins it, man. Obviously, I'm a biased fan, and um, but the dude set the single season record for sacks, and I don't want to hear anything about always oh, one extra game because TJ Watt only played in 15 games. He missed a couple of games with injuries, so that was a legit. Like he could he could have one more game, you know, because because mm -hmm. Strahan said it in, in 16 games. So I don't know if Strahan missed any games that season, but um, no, incredible player, incredible accomplishment, and I, and I love. You know, as a Steeler fan, I love everything about TJ Watt. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned like watching the Raiders and Chargers game because, you know, I watched up until halftime. Then I'm like, you know what? There's no way there's no way this ends in a tie right now. I wait. I go to bed. I wake up. I check Instagram and Twitter and I'm like, there is no way that screenshot is real. 32, 32 with two seconds left in overtime. It, it was it was a crazy experience. And I'm glad I in a way kind of saved myself from a heart attack. Oh night, man, so. you, you definitely slept well. And <laughs> it took me about a, a half an hour to an hour to get to actually fall asleep after watching that game because yeah. man, oh man, even only the Steelers would give me more stress when they're not playing. That's yeah. like, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. I saw a stat on Twitter saying that like, if one score games were flipped, our final record this season would be three, 12 and one. Yeah. Hey, we're yeah. getting it done somehow. Again, We're getting it a done. win's a win. A, a win's win is a win. Yeah. Cameron, you got anything else before we wrap this up? Uh, I got nothing. Thank you so much for coming on, coming on. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate it a lot. Oh, no problem, guys. Uh, uh, thanks for having me on. And that was our about 50-minute interview with uh, J.C. Shaw. We appreciate him coming on a lot. Uh, Cameron, that was one of the best interviews I've personally been a part of in a – probably ever i don't know what how many interviews you've probably been in more than i have but uh what do you think about that entire thing yeah it was pretty fun talking to him he seems like a great guy and i'm just glad we got the chance to have him on yeah i'm when i first sent him that uh direct message on instagram it only took him about like two or three hours to answer and um i was very surprised with how swift and like how quickly we got the ball rolling to get the interview in and uh like i said i'm very grateful that he was able to come on and uh gave us some great answers and um even gave us a little uh, soundbite about him going on think having uh, Zaire Wade, Dwayne Wade's son, out for Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> I remember, uh, I remember, see, I remember watching your face when um, he first said that. You were like, "Oh, 
<laughs> oh, wow look at that <laughs> listen to that <laughs> definitely looked like it took you by surprise yeah that was not what i was expecting him to say there <laughs> all right so let's get on with the rest of our podcast uh we're going to start off with uh the nfl wildcard results and then we'll hop into our divisional matchup picks and explanations and all that stuff so cameron this week was not a good week for me in the wildcard picks uh i went two and four not good at all. Uh, you know, my beloved Steelers sadly ended their season on Sunday by uh, losing 20 by 21 points. Um, you know, the chiefs, they, I don't know if you saw the picture, but on their, on their uh, big screen board, they said, I'm sorry, fans. Uh, we ran out of fireworks because yep. you know, our offense is too good. Yep. Pretty much. That's I think that's like the said. second or third time that's happened. So I don't know. I feel like they should have more fireworks ready at this point. You would think they would, but then at the same time, they're like, is this going to be a close game? Like what's going on here? But uh, yeah, so it was not a good week for me for, uh, for the Steelers for my uh, records. Um, but Cameron, how'd you do this week? Uh, I got three, right. Got three wrong, but you know what they say? 500 record can make the playoffs. So yeah, exactly. Now right. they can. <laughs> yeah. So um, you're, uh, you're new England Patriots obviously lost as well. Um, what were your, what were your thoughts after absolutely getting blown out by the bills? Um, this was like one, like, like thinking back to the Super Bowl when they came back against the Falcons at halftime of that game, I went and sat in my basement and like watched like a tiny little TV in there for the, until for like, the Super Bowl game. You're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cause I was like okay. so sad about it until yeah. it was like right up till they came back and it went to overtime here. I did the same thing where I just like went up into my room and locked the door or not locked the door, but just like shut myself away mm-hmm. except it didn't change. You were, were you hoping the same magic per se happened? Yeah. That yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was, that was a hard to watch game. Yeah. It, it was definitely hard to my team as well uh, on Sunday night, because, you know, <laughs> let me tell you chiefs, the chiefs are very good. The chiefs came out and showed up to play. Anyway, that was the past. We're thinking about the future. NFL divisional rounds are set and locked and let's get it back into our predictions. So Saturday, the first game, the Cincinnati Bagels coming off a win against Las Vegas Raiders going up against the number one seed, the Tennessee Titans, obviously with this new format. Um, there's only one team that gets the first round by and then adding the additional teams to the playoffs. So, you know, Cameron, I'll start, I guess. Uh, Derek Henry was re- recently designated off of IR. Uh, Coach Vrabel said in an interview, he responded well to the workload taken off of IR. You know, that's got to be promising for that t- Titans office that had the week off. Um, and you know, for the Bengals, they're going to have to score a bunch of, uh, score a bunch of points in bunches. They're not going to necessarily need a bunch of field goals. Um, they're going to have to keep that Tennessee offense off the field, even though with Derrick Henry being the first time playing in a while, I think it'll still be Derrick Henry. And for that reason, I think I'm going to pick the Titans to uh, beat the Bengals this year because the playoffs basically run through Tennessee, which is odd to say. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I'm also going to take the Titans. I I mean, the Bengals did enough to get past the Raiders last weekend, and they made it like it was it was a pretty entertaining game watching it, but I think their playoff run is going to stop here in Tennessee. We've kind of all heard the comments that, like, the Titans have been this – they're, like, this bad one seed and somehow that they, like, lucked their way into the spot. And it's – I mean, that's kind of true that they haven't necessarily played the most consistent football all season, like looking at some of the losses they've had to the Jets and the Texans. And but uh, we're looking at a team right now that's won four of their last five games, 
and they they earned the AFC's top seed without having their best running the league's best running back Derrick Henry on the on uh, in their lineup. <laughs> um, and now they've got him back. So I and I I think another thing that shouldn't be overlooked here is the fact that the Titans coming are coming off a bye week. And in the four years that Mike Vrabel's coached this team, they're four and zero following the week off, mm-hmm. and they they've won those games by an average of twenty points. I mean, I like Joe Burrow, I like the Bengals team, but I think this is the t- the Titans here. Yeah, I a lot of people have been saying as well that Mike Coach Mike Vrabel Vrabel, excuse me, might win Coach of the Year for the reasons that you exactly mentioned. They're la- they won their last four or five, earned the number one seed. Everyone thought they weren't going to even make the playoffs anymore after Derrick Henry got injured. And, you know, here they are with the first round by. So yeah. you know, we're both going to pick the Titans. It's um, it, it still should be a good game as well. I think so. But uh, I think the Titans are going to edge the Bengals. Yeah. Uh, moving into the second game on Saturday, the 49ers against the Packers. Um, again, Packers are running. The playoffs are running through Lambeau Field uh, with the Green Bay Packers. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers played extremely well against the Cowboys, but then again, it is the Cowboys in the playoffs. So sooner or later they were going to choke and it just happened to be in the first game. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, I don't know if you heard, but he sprained his shoulder and he did something with his throwing thumb. So he might not even be playing. So they'll have to lean on rookie Trey Lance to go in his first, uh, game of the playoffs in Lambeau field. I was looking at the weather and it was supposed to be like the high of one degrees. Before the wind chill, high of one. So it's going to be a cold game up there. I saw 17, yeah. but that's even worse. Yeah, I, I was watching the uh, Pat McAfee show when Aaron Rodgers came on, and he said the high is supposed to be like one before the wind <laughs> chill. So I took Aaron Rodgers' word for it. <laughs> uh, you know, the Packers as well on their side of the ball, they're starting to get players back. I know that week, uh, the week off really helped them as well. So I don't know. I'm picking the Packers. I don't know about you, but I don't see the 49ers. Um, continuing their quote Cinderella story, although you know all the teams are in the playoffs for a reason. So I'm going to pick the Packers. Yeah, I mean this is another interesting game. You have like two coaches here in Kyle Shanahan and Matt Lafleur who like know each other's concepts very well and probably have borrowed a decent number from one another, having coached together for a while. And the Niners narrowly lost to the Packers at home in Week Three. So we've seen we've seen what happens when these teams play close, but they've. And they've re they've, uh, they've revamped their offense since then. Debo Samuel's been doing it doing it both ways at running back and wide receiver. Yeah. But to me, I feel like the signs are still pointing to a Packers win here. It seemed like it seemed like this weekend that the Niners were trying to throw that game against the Cowboys, so they didn't want this matchup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a way, especially yeah. in the second half. Yeah, mm-hmm. but the, the Cowboys threw harder, and here they are. Yeah, yeah um, here they are with their sitting on their bench. Yeah, and like you mentioned with the weather. If, if it's going to be one degree, I think that that plays a major factor into this game. The coldest has ever been in San Francisco. I looked at this up earlier is 27 degrees ever, ever period. Oh my gosh. And there's, there's no way this team can prepare for that. So I think it's going to be a rude awakening for them. And I have the Packers yeah. by a decent number. Yeah. Especially last week in the wild card playoff, when you're in Dallas in a dome, when, you know, it's a lot nicer out than it is going to be in Lambeau field. Like, yeah. It going from week to week is going to be a very difficult transition for the team. And I think that's not going to benefit them for sure. So moving over to Sunday, uh, the Rams going up against the Buccaneers on a 3 PM matchup on NBC. Usually you hear about, you know, the NBC games usually be the Sunday night football games, but uh, this game's going at three o'clock in Tampa Bay. Um, before we start, I just wanted, before we start with this matchup, I just wanted to say, 
I don't know if you saw the meme with uh, Baker May uh, the Baker Mayfield and like OBJ. Uh, it said Baker Mayfield is so bad that he had everyone convinced that OBJ was washed. Yeah, you I know, saw that. He went absolutely off. Like he turned back the clock for some reason mm-hmm. when he was with the Giants. So that's not the only reason that I'm going to pick the Rams to win, but it's also was Matt Stafford's first playoff win uh, when he last appeared in 2016 with the Lions and lost to the Seahawks 26 to six. You know, that defense is absolutely insane. Um, you know, with Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, the safeties and all that stuff, like it's almost unfair at times, but then Tom Brady is on the other side of the ball as well, but I'm going to pick the Rams to edge the Buccaneers. I know it may be a hot take, but you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to pick the underdog. I think many people would say, what do you think? No, I'm, I'm right along there with you. Like Tom Brady's my guy. And as much as I hate to do this and I'm I'm probably going to regret it on Sunday, I'm, I'm taking the Rams. I mean, the signs right now to me are just pointing to a Rams win. It looks like first team all pro Tristan Wirfs and Ryan Jensen, two of the probably three solidest guys on that Bucks O line are going to be out with injuries. And Wirfs mm-hmm. backup is also going to be out. So it looks like Aaron Donald and Von Miller are going to be able to run rampant in there and get to Brady quicker than they would have been able to. Yeah, and, no, definitely. Yeah. And they're and if that happens, then he's gonna to have to for, force the ball out and he doesn't have Chris Godwin anymore. He doesn't have Antonio mm-hmm. Brown anymore. And Mike Evans is going to be locked down by Jalen Ramsey. So I think, I think the buck, they're not the bucks. I think the Rams are going to be able to hold the bucks offense down and they're going to win this one. Yeah. I'm trying to find the line right now for the game. It's bucks uh, uh, minus three. Is it minus three? Oh yeah. yeah, there it is. Minus three. Yep. So I think, you know, it's It's definitely gonna be a close game for sure. I mean, there's no doubt about it. This might be, uh, I think one of probably, I think all the games are going to be competitive, but I think this one might be extremely interesting, you know, with the line at negative three. So, you know, but I guess we're going to pick the visitors to uh, come in and steal. Yeah, we got, Tom we got pretty similar picks this week. Yeah, I know. We're, it's almost like you looked off of mine all the way, <laughs> recalling, calling back all the way to week four and five when we had almost all identical. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, before we get on to the next matchup, uh, I was at home today watching the news actually yesterday and they, uh, this TV station does like a little thing called talk back 16 where they um, let people call in and like just voice their opinions about anything. And one of the ladies said that all, every single player on that plays in the Super Bowl should boycott if Tom Brady ends up in the Super Bowl. And then today on talk back 16, they, everyone like called in about this lady saying it and they were like, just absolutely like calling her out and just like, what are you saying woman? Like she was saying something about like, he's 44. He should just quit already. And I'm like, all right, it's Tom Brady. We're talking about like, come on, let's be real here. Come on. I just thought that was funny. You should yeah. know that. <laughs> so some people. yeah, some people just, they think they know everything in the world until it comes down to actually talking about stuff. So, so in the last game of the NFC NFL divisional round, excuse me, the Bills going into Arrowhead against the Chiefs. Send Snapchats over there, I see. I am. I see that. Yeah, I see you. Uh, the Bills played absolutely lights out against the uh, Patriots. Josh, Josh Allen in the offense had, like, the perfect game. And I don't mean to keep knocking your Patriots, but I'm going to. They had zero punts, zero interceptions, no field goals, and only touchdowns in every single possession they had the entire game. 
And the only times they didn't score a touchdown is when they knelt at the end of halftime and at the end of the game. And I, and Josh Allen looked like he was very comfortable in the neck, in the cold weather. I know in the past he's had like not a good rap and like his style line has been the greatest in cold games. And it was cold up in Buffalo and the entire game might've been affected by the bills, mafia fans, but going into arrowhead, that's like a different animal, but I do see the bills coming out of this game. You know, like we mentioned at the top of the show that the chiefs played extremely well against the Steelers, but you know, the bills have a better offensive identity than Steelers did. And I think it's going to be harder for the chiefs to keep up with the bills offense. So that's why I'm going to pick the bills to win this game. Yeah. I mean, this one's kind of being headlined as like a super bowl caliber matchup, but just in the divisional round mm-hmm. and the bills are coming off that blowout win over the Patriots and the chiefs just dunked on your Steelers. Okay. So, I mean, like granted the Patriots played some of the worst defense I've ever seen in my life. And mm-hmm. you could have replaced Ben Roethlisberger with a traffic cone in the first half of that game. And nobody would have no- noticed the difference, but okay. Okay. <laughs> Time out. What is going on with the slander all of a sudden the Steelers defense played extremely well in the first quarter, but then played absolute like yeah the, Ben did. So did you see some of those passes? He was airmailing. Don't worry, I I the saw them. Had like I, I twenty five watched... more yards than the offense for like half the game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you saw in the first quarter, DJ Watt deserves to win at least Defensive Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. I mean, with the resume that he put on just in the playoff game this year and the rest of the season, maybe even NL MVP. But uh, who knows? Continue with your pick. I'm sorry. Just went on a little yeah, bit. I mean, <laughs> both teams are playing incredible right now, and we know both quarterbacks are going to put a lot of balls in the end zone. So I think it's definitely going to be a shootout, but I think it's definitely it's going to come down to which defense can get like that key stop when it's needed. I think the Bills have the better fe- defense, and they're going to be capable of getting that done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people were like arguing and like trashing the Bills' run defense, but they're actually in the middle of the pack in the NFL right now. So, I mean, the Chiefs running backs haven't, like aren't even playing like they had to go to the third string Jared McKinnon and he played extremely well, but you know, it was still the third string running back. So who, who knows what'll happen? I don't know if um, Darren Williams and Clyde Edwards, a will be back. So um, as of right now, I'm picking the chiefs and we're going to lock it in. So. All right. So yeah. next I kind of wanted to talk about the NHL all-star game. Cause the rosters got the really released this week. Because mm-hmm. quite frankly, the the NHL All Star Game is a joke. It's along the same yeah. lines as the Pro Bowl level of a joke. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares about the Pro Bowl, and if they keep going, if the NHL keeps going in the direction that they are with this, it's just going to be as ignored. Yeah, like I, I when I did my prep and notes for this, I start I, my, the first thing I had is my tab was start to start off. What is this game? Like seriously, only allowing one fan vote for one player in each division. And first of all, each division, like whatever happened, like in the NBA and NFL, where it's like East and West, it used to be like that. And then they changed it. Yeah. Like, so I kind of made like a little hypothetical too, to show how like stupid this is. So every, so we all know every team has to have an all-star in the NHL. So the worst team in the NBA right now is the Orlando magic with an overall record of eight and 37. Their highest paid player right now is Gary Harris at around $20 million a year. And then thanks to NHL logic, Gary Harris would get in the NBA all-star game over Zach Levine, which is crazy to think about because Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan aren't both in the top five for guards in the East, but Levine wouldn't get in because 
there has to be one player from every single team. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same thing with like Nick Suzuki. The Canadians are the worst team in the league, or if not mm-hmm. top two worst in the league. He has 19 points in 37 games this season. And you look at a guy like Brad Marchand, who I don't know his exact point total, but I'm going to pull it up right now. He has 43 points in 30 games, and Suzuki got in over him because of this rule. Yeah. So it's and yeah. Wait, you said um, Nathan? Did you say something about Nathan McKinnon? Uh, I mentioned uh, not. I haven't Just said now. anything about him yet. Okay. Yeah, because I I found an article earlier that said yeah, Nathan McKinnon calls the All Star Game format silly, and you know he talked about. Um, he doesn't think every team should get a second guy according to, um, Peter Bogg. It's, and he's right. When he says this right here, he says it's an all-star game, not a participation game. Like there's supposed to be the best players in each league and not every, not every team has a good player at least. And I know a lot more, and I know a lot less about hockey than you do. So elaborate however you feel. I mean, yeah, he's he's right. Like the Avs have three bona fide guys who are gonna who should go to this game. Like McKinnon got in, Nazim Kadri, who who was who he was talking about in that interview, ended up getting in in the last man vote, which is another thing in itself. And then Miko Rantanen, who's his line mate, has forty six points in thirty three games. He did not get in. Yeah, same like, thing. And he physically like, under the under the rules, he physically could not have gotten in. I believe. Yeah. Yeah, and like the I was looking, I'm looking at NHL's Twitter right now, and it sounds like they're proud of the tweet that they put. It said, "You get to decide who the last man is for the 2022 NHL All Star Weekend. Who's got your ballot?" And it's got like the link to the NHL link, vote for everything like that. But like this, it just doesn't make any sense. And like this is the first time I'm personally hearing about it because I've just been exposed to hockey is a lot more than I have in the past, and. This is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, if they want the All-Star game to mean anything in coming years, then they have to change the format, and that's mm-hmm. that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Did, how long has the NHL commissioner been the commissioner? Uh, a long time. A long 20, time. 20-plus years. Yeah. Maybe he it. needs to take a page out of, Yeah, like, 93. So almost 30 years at this point. It'll be 30 years next year, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he might have to take a book out of like Adam Silver's uh, All Star Weekend format because you know, I don't know about you, but I always enjoyed watching the NBA All Star Game. Yeah, it's especially fun. It's now fun to watch. Like, yeah, especially with now how they um, allow like the winning team to make it a charitable donation to like a certain charity or whoever, whatever it is. It's a lot. It, it makes it makes the game a lot more interesting than where in the past it was just oh yeah, let's just go mess around, shoot some threes, half court shots, and all that stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. NHL, get your crap together. This is ridiculous. Uh, right, another so, another yeah, thing that was ahead. released this week was the U.S. Olympic hockey roster, and we wanted to talk about that a bit because we are in college, and this whole team yes. is made up of current or former college guys. Yeah, 15 of 25 players are currently playing in NCAA. And then the average age is 25, and it's the youngest since 1994. And yeah. that year, guess what place they finished? Eighth. Eighth. They didn't even like medal at all. It's absolutely crazy. But like they're the team, like I said, is young. Uh they have one previous Olympian, Brian O'Neill, who's 33 years old. Like Cameron, what do you think? Like how much ex- 
how much does talent and experience in these types of games like affect like a USA hockey team like this they have? I mean, there's a lot of guys here that have played at the international level before. So they'll have like experience, like playing at not necessarily the highest of the state, like this high of a stage, but playing against like other countries in a similar format. But I think the fact that you're going to have pro guys coming out of Russia the Czechs are going to have a lot of pro guys. The Czechs actually should be one of the favorites in this tournament. And then mm-hmm. the Finns and the Swedes as well. So I think, I think it's going to take like another miracle sized effort for them to pull out something in this tournament. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. So I kind of just have like general questions about hockey that you might be able to give a better answer than probably others. So with 15 of the 25 players in on this Olympic team that are playing college hockey, how does this like kind of affect their programs back at college? You know, you got the number two pick in the last year's draft from the Seattle Kraken, uh, Maddie Biner, Burners, Burners from the University of Michigan. Like they're ranked what in the top five right now? Uh, I believe the they're six this week. Oh, okay, so six, yeah, they're in, they're in the top ten. And like, how does a player like him, who's the number two pick in this past year's draft, how does this affect? the their programs back at the university of michigan for example i mean it's we saw like a month two ago not even a, like in the last past few weeks or whatever not i can't put it it's hard to put a time frame around this but when when they lost five six players for the world juniors that the team went to the dump they're they're not without their top guys this this team could not compete for a championship quite yeah. frankly um and <laughs> they they know that too that's why i don't know if you saw it but there was a weekend where they're playing Western Michigan, who's a top five team in the nation on Friday. And then they're playing Michigan tech on Saturday. Who's mm-hmm. a good team in their own right, but they're not at the same level as Western. And they canceled the Friday game against Western because of COVID protocol reasons and then still played on Saturday. What? That doesn't yeah, even make which, any sense. No, they, they completely hundred percent canceled the game just because they didn't want to play them with other top oh, guys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that Yeah. That's crazy. But um, yeah, I mean, do you have anything to add? Like how far do you think they'll go in the, in the Olympics? I know it's like a few weeks away, but like, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's kind of a toss up. Like there's a lot of good players on this roster and if they do string something together, they could make a run. They could maybe make a push for a medal. But Mm -hmm. I, I think that's as much as I hate to say it. I think that's an unlikely conclusion. Yeah. I think I saw that, um, the last time they won, the last time they even medaled was in 2010, and that was a silver medal. So it's definitely been a while since they've even medaled. And, you know, in in 2018, when they went to South Korea, they finished seventh. Yeah, that was playing like with college guys as well, though. Yeah. And do you think this might be a – do you think this is a change as well in college hockey where, like – or not college hockey, in Olympics hockey – where they play college guys and like the NBA, the, the summer Olympics kind of did this for, for a few years in like the late eighties uh, where they played college guys in the Olympics. And then eventually, you know, he had the 1992 dream team and stuff like that. Well, Do you think this is the kind of the future for the USA hockey team? No, or? I mean, the NHL was supposed to go to these games until like early January. Yeah. When they, the, when they, the thing was, it was like the protocol for Beijing was like, something stupid like a five week i don't know if it was five week but it was like an excessive amount of quarantining if they tested positive or something before they can come back and that's not Mm -hmm. a risk that like these teams want to take 
And even yeah. though the players, even though the, a lot of the players still wanted to play, they, the NHL decided against it. So I think, especially for the next Olympics, I think the NHL will be back, especially because there's a clause with the in the new deal with the NHLPA that they they're supposed to play in the Olympics now. Got okay. So it's not so most of the reason that they have all these college guys was because of all the COVID protocols yeah. that Beijing was having. Okay, yeah. that makes more sense. Because I remember seeing something saying about about their. Um, them not wanting to play in the Olympics this year because of all the COVID, but I wasn't sure if what is, what has happened since that originally came out. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope the NHL will be back in the next Olympics. Yeah. I think one of my, one of my best hockey memories is the TJ Oshie, TJ Oshie shootout in Sochi. Yeah. In I know exactly what you're talking about. 20... Yeah. That was, <laughs> that was 2014. It was 2014. 2014 yeah. Cause 2010 yeah. was Vancouver. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about in Sochi, yeah. I remember that memory like it was, like it was yesterday. <laughs> you have no idea what I'm talking about. I have about no either. idea what you're talking about, yeah. Google yeah. TJ Sochi after this one. Okay, well, TJ Sochi, got it. But, uh, like, so we were pre- I think we'll touch on this a little bit right now. I think it makes sense. So we talked about, you know, 15 players playing on the USA team. You know, we got a bunch of the – we mentioned a bunch of these top 10 teams. But the number one team this week in college hockey – let me tell you, your very own Quinnipiac Bobcats. Cameron, your thoughts? Uh, I think Mike Sicoli put it best when he said, uh, okay. so Sicoli said that there's your school's hockey team and then there's my school's hockey team. We are not the same. And I think that sums it up perfectly. Yeah, it really does. Because, you know, hey, number one team in the country since the for the first time since 2015-16 season. You and know, the women are fourth. Hey. It's Two a good year. It's a programs. good year for Quinnipiac hockey. Two top five programs in the same year. That's pretty epic. Are you broadcasting the women's game on Friday? The women's basketball game. Oh, uh, I thought it was the women's yeah. hockey game. Yeah, you saw my uh, Instagram story. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, men's uh, women's basketball. I'm doing the multimedia on Friday though. Okay. For QBSN, yeah. So, okay. So, oh, on the QU bar stool account they've been posting a bunch of this stuff about wagon like you put it on your story um so obviously everyone knows i'm not that big of a hockey guy is this a term this wagon am i supposed to know what this means or was it something that i just like kind of glossed over and i'm kind of just stupid i mean it's it's a term that applies to every sport not just hockey it's just used more exclusively with exclusively with hockey it's just like a powerhouse team like Uh, okay if if you're on a hot streak if you're winning a lot of games in a row you're a wagon Gotcha. I wasn't sure if it was like a, if it was just like a short slang term for like bandwagon or something like that, no, but it's no. just like, okay, gotcha. Got, okay, if so you want like terms, you won't understand. I can throw some at you later, but that's a discussion for another day. Yeah. That's a discussion for another time. Maybe that'll be, ne- maybe that we'll put that in next week's. Next that's week's that's a good, that's week. a good uh, quiz game for when we come back next week. I, like I can that. hit you with yeah. hockey terms that you will not know. All right. Yeah, we can do that. I know a few, but like very basic vocabulary, like very basic, <laughs> very basic. All right, so kind of moving over from the NHL and college hockey to the uh, NFL, I almost said NBA, excuse me. We're going to kind of break down, analyze, give our thoughts and opinions about possible landing spots for Russell Wilson. You know, he's come out and said, you know, I want to be a Seattle Seahawk for life, but I also want to explore my options in the offseason. So, Cameron, we'll kind of just go back and forth. I kind of did, like, number the top second and third team that – should be on the lookout for Russell Wilson or his landing spots. Um, 
I don't know how exactly you did it or whatnot, but uh, I just I just kind of took out the two teams that I thought would be the best fits for him. Best fits, gotcha. So I mean, yeah, you go first. I think I think I'd say the number one option. I don't know what you said, but I'd say it's the Saints. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they were one of the four teams when his agent gave like his his trade list like halfway through the season. They were one of the four teams on that list. Mm-hmm. And this is a team that's like they're still in win now mode. They just missed the playoffs after starting the season five and two before Jameis Winston went down with that yeah. torn ACL, I believe it and was. That, that in itself is like a crazy thing to say. Five and two with Jameis Winston. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it's it's clear if this team can find that like definitive number one quarterback that they'll be able to put up a fight against any other team. And Jameis Winston's going to be a free agent this offseason. So this is the perfect chance to to bring in a veteran guy like Russ and make one final charge at it with this roster for completely mm-hmm. rebuilding. Yeah. You know, the saints for, I kind of did like number one, two and three top landing spots. The saints were my number three uh, for one of the reasons that like Sean Payton has worked with uh, short stature quarterbacks like <laughs> Drew Brees, you know, it's, it's a fact of the matter. Like both of them are like a, my, below six, two. And like, he's had that experience working with them. So he can even give, you know, Russell tips and tricks like, Hey, Drew did this on like third and six, a lot of times, like different stuff like that. But the number one landing spot for me, in my opinion, is the Denver Broncos. You know, I I said it a few weeks ago, they need to find a stable quarterback and not like keep switching back and forth between Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke and whoever they have on their rotation. But, and like this off season, the ownership of the Broncos is out for bid and two names that reminisce a lot with Broncos fans is, John Elway and Peyton Manning. Those, those guys' names have been thrown around into um, these ownership groups that are going to bid eventually for the Broncos team. So if one of those guys end up getting it, it might be a good opportunity for uh, Russell Wilson, who has played with an elite defense that the Broncos have, which the Broncos are playing extremely well defensively. They just haven't been able to find points. And then, cause like we all know Legion of boom that Russell Wilson had earlier in his career, like, it might be a good fit for them in the future. And then, you know, Hey, it could be a good fit. You know, Michael went in a super bowl here or there, but Hey, who knows? Yeah. I mean, I looked at that, but I'd say that like with the Broncos firing their GM, firing their, or I don't, they didn't fire their GM. They fired their coach. No, they just fired their head coach. Yeah. And Nick Fangio. But I think, I think this is a time for them to kind of completely rebuild, reevaluate that entire offense and mm-hmm. I don't think that uh, bringing in like an older veteran guy like Russ is something that would be beneficial to them for the long term, considering what they'd have to give up for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. But also, they do have offensive pe- pieces like Jerry Judy, like yeah. they drafted a few years ago. Yeah. And they have like, I don't know. Who's their number one running back? Uh, Ooh. <laughs> I want to say, I want to say, it's not Philip Lindsay anymore. No, it's not. No, it's not him. It's not Jamal Charles. It was he's not Jamal he running Charles. Back. No, no, no. Holy. He was running. He was on their Broncos lineup. I think it was this past year, last year. Uh, uh, it's Melvin Gordon. That's who it is. Okay, yeah. I knew that it was. Yeah, yeah, Melvin Gordon. So like they have pieces. It's just that they need to find like we've been saying a stable quarterback. So yeah, that was the number think, one spot. I just think they need to sense. start young, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, but they, I mean, like, they kind of have Drew Locke right now, and we've seen how that turned out, but I think it wasn't his greatest. It wasn't the, his best uh, going out with uh, the court, the head coach that they had. So maybe if yeah. they get 
like we've been saying for a lot of teams these past few weeks, like just get good young head coaches that have shown that they can do this in the past. So yeah, that was my comment. So where was the second spot that you had? Uh, I said, Washington. Washington. I mean, All right. New name, new quarterback. Taylor, Taylor Heineke was very average this season and it mm-hmm. kind of showed in their record. But I think like, if you pair a guy like Russ with, like they have some serious wide out threats there. They have Terry McLaurin. They have Curtis Samuel when he's healthy. We saw what he could do with the Panthers mm-hmm. and, and Scott Turner, their OC is like, he likes to call deep ball plays, which is like Russ's style of game. Yeah. That's how but I think, I think play, he'd be yeah. a good fit there. And I think he could do some mm-hmm. damage. Yeah. I, for some, you know, you saying that kind of made more sense now uh, than when I was doing my prep for this, but I kind of said the New York giants. Uh, so, you know, it's a big, it's a big market, obviously in New York. Uh, it's an opportunity to track bigger play, big name players. If he did end up going there, um, you know, the giants offense showed glimpses of promise this past season. You know, obviously everyone talks about the third and nine QB sneak from the four yard line, but like they have shown um, promise in offensive and plays other than that. And then the Seahawks could also get, if they like, instead of just waiting for free agency, they could get like a first round pick out of it because the giants have two top 10, I believe this year and the Seahawks could possibly get a um, first round pick because if you, I don't know if you remember, but they actually traded their first round draft pick for this year, a few years ago to the uh, jets for when they got Jamal Adams. So that they would have been picking number 10 if, um, if that trade didn't happen. So they could still get a top 10 pick. Yeah. They just have to use Russell Wilson probably. Yeah. I didn't even really think about that, but that could be a good option. Yeah. And like, so you, you kind of said you only had like top two landing spots, but I had a possible dark horse as well. Like someone that maybe, but probably not. I picked the Philadelphia Eagles as well. You know, everyone's been saying, Oh, Jalen hurts first year under the under center for the Nick Sirianni, but cause you can't throw a deep ball and they need that vertical presence. But so Russell Wilson could be a good option. Like you mentioned with the um, Washington football team. Thank you. Excuse yeah. me. A little, a little brain fire right there. But like, yeah, with Devontae Smith, with Jalen Rager, like they have offensive weapons and like they already have a good running game right now. So that, again, like we've been saying, they could just add pieces that make sense and, you know, give Ross a few more years on her center and possibly go win another Super Bowl. Yeah, maybe maybe you have him come in there. He, he has two years left on his contract. So maybe you can have him come in there, mentor Jalen Hurts for a couple of years and then let him take the reins again. He, he hasn't, he was a decent quarterback this season, but having a guy like Russ maybe could help him take him to the next level. Yeah. And especially teaching him like how to use his, like how to use his body to make those deep throws. Cause like Jalen hurts is from all the interviews that everyone's ever seen. Jalen hurts is a competitor and he's willing to learn, especially if somebody, he has somebody like Russell Wilson that could benefit him very yeah. in the long term. but I'm sure the Seahawks are going to want a lot back for when they did. Yeah. So, I think you're going to need one, if not two first round picks, honestly, to get the Seahawks to budge on him. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm, I don't know what the situation is in the front office with them, but it, it's kind of mixed emotions, whether they want to keep him or not. He, and like, he also has a full no trade clause. So that's something that needs to be considered too. Oh, he does. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Oh, so he'd, have, so he'd have to break his contract and like all that stuff. No. So he'd have, he'd just have to approve the trade. Right. Oh, so he, oh, yeah. So he has final say yeah. on whether they get traded or not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. 
for some reason, I thought no trade clause. I thought you meant like, <laughs> yeah, you can't leave. You're stuck you here. Leave here. No. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. So that's kind of like, that was kind of like a brief little NFL segment right there. And now we'll switch over to the NBA. Uh, the NBA's have been getting a lot of injuries. Um, you know, I was kind of thinking about this when we got our prep work. I know somebody at home who like is a physical therapist and like he has his doctor in physical therapy and everything like that. Did you want to try to get him on the show to talk about like sports injuries and stuff like that? That'd be cool. Yeah. All right, sweet. I'll reach out to him. I, I'm sure he's, he played, he scored over a thousand points in our, uh, at, from my high school. So I'm sure he'd be, he'd love to come on and talk stuff like that. Having a little business meeting halfway through the show here, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, back to the uh, original segment, um, starting off Damian Lillard out for a little, for a few weeks now for like a month and a half with an abdominal injury. Uh, this is a big loss for the trailblazers. You know, I can only name CJ McCollum on that roster. Other than that, I don't really know anyone else. Excuse me. Oh, that roster. It's getting late. Whew. Um, it's on that 722 roster, like, at night, people. Yeah, it's, <laughs> this man's a grandfather. I've been up, I've been up since like six o'clock, shuffling snow again. Uh, but yeah, he's kept the trailblazers in people's mouths. Then, like I said, for the exact reason, I can't name another player besides CJ McCollum on that roster. So, you know, this is kind of big for the trailblazers. I'd be interested to see how they play until he comes back. So I mean. Yeah, I'd say as much as I don't want him to be traded because I own his jersey and I mm-hmm. if, it, if he gets traded, then it's awkward if I'm wearing his jersey. Yeah, but I'd say it's likely now they're going to be playing without him for a while. They'll get a better look at Anthony Simons mm-hmm. kind of running the show there. Is McCollum injured? I, for some reason, I feel like he's injured. Yeah, he might be. He's been injury prone the last no, few he's, years. He's, he's active right now from yeah, what I, okay. yeah, he is. Oh, okay. he just he had his first game back. That's yesterday. That's why I thought that. Oh, gotcha. Um, right. Yeah, but now they now they get to see him kind of as like a primary scoring option. And this is kind of a team. They're sitting outside the playoff picture. They're not going to be able to really do much damage with the roster they have now, except maybe get in get into the play in tournament, maybe get into the playoffs and like losing six in the first round. So I yeah. think I think this is the time that the front office might reevaluate, go for a rebuild. And I'd say that if if any time he's probably going to get shipped out before the deadline this year. Yeah, I mean, Damian Lillard has said very, uh, very clearly that he wants to stay with the Trailblazers because you know he kept saying like, "Every I love this town, everything like that." But that's why I own his jersey because I like his loyalty. That's but yeah. I think I think it's I think it's time that yeah, you don't see that very often yeah. anymore where yeah. people stay loyal to the teams they got drafted by. But you know, like you've been saying, it it appears like it's time, but like you know. It's Damian Lillard. You only know him on the Trailblazers, you know, from his rookie year when he hit that last second shot against the, uh, oh, don't tell me who they play. The Clippers? I think it was the Clippers. When they hit, when he came off the screen and hit that like last second three pointer in his, his rookie year in the playoffs uh, with like 0.5 seconds remaining. Was it the Pelicans? Was it? I don't <laughs> I, I can't remember. I don't know. Uh, yeah, this we'll, is we'll, testing we'll, our NBA yeah, knowledge. We're, yeah, we're testing our. Yeah, our test our knowledge. But, like, yeah, I mean, it'd be sad to see him go, obviously. But, like, right now, he's just got to work back, work on getting back to his, uh, getting back from his abdominal injury. So, yeah. And then another big injury in the other conference is Kevin Durant, the league leading scorer, is out now four to six weeks with an MCL sprain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He'll be, the Nets will be fine without him, to, in my opinion. Like, 
They have obviously James Harden and Kyrie Irving, even though Kyrie can't play in home games, but you know, they have a lot of young talent uh, that can step up their game. I know in particular, Cam Thomas, who plays for the Brooklyn Nets, who was drafted by the, he was drafted from LSU last year, absolutely lit up college basketball. But like with KD, he's been a very injury prone the past few years. And if I was a team that's looking to possibly acquire a big score and a big, you know, name player like KD, that'd be my biggest concern with him. is just like how injured, how injured he's been getting, you know, like, you never know when he's going to be pointing. I mean, to the end like be looking out. at the man, it's like he's a stick. He's a walking yeah, stick. Yeah, he could, he could, he can snap in half at any moment. Yeah, like so that's I, I think kinda... it's just, I think it's just prone for the course with his body weight and like how his figure is because he's so tall. Oh, yeah. yeah, and like it's crazy to think about that he's like seven foot and he's playing like a point guard. Yeah, like that. That has to be saying he's something. He's incredible. About... He's one of the best scorers in NBA history. But oh yeah, exactly. It sucks yeah. that he can't stay healthy. Yeah, it really does. It really is unfortunate. I think I think like the Nets when they're healthy, they can be any team in this league. Oh yeah, for sure. But yes. Right now, Kyrie is only playing in away games. Durant's out. Aldridge is out. Nick Claxton's out. Joe Harris is out. They're four and eleven. They're four and seven in their last eleven. They haven't won two games in a row since Christmas. Mm-hmm. I think I think they're not going to win many games in the near future until everybody comes back together and they can put that core back together on the court together. Yeah. I mean, like they spent all this money. You would hope that they'd be able to stay on the court for long periods of time. Those top three guys have only played two games together this season. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's crazy. And most of that was because of Kyrie Irving just being out because of his his vaccination status. But you know, you would like to see more than two games for how much money you spent on that. Exactly. Yeah. And then I think the last thing we're going to talk about today is there was a decently big trade this week, also in the East. Cam Reddish shipped off to the Knicks. Yeah. Uh, the Knicks got him, Solomon Hill, and a 2025 second for Kevin Knox and a protected 2022 first from the Hornets. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, this is, this is big for the Knicks. It really is. Um, you know, obviously Cam Reddish uh, reuniting with RJ Barrett from his, their Duke days playing under Coach K. But he is also currently out with an ankle injury. Um, you know, he's kind of like Kevin Durant in a sense where he we I've ever known him as being injured or like not having having limited minutes because he's coming back from injury. But from those like three Duke players that got drafted, you know, RJ Barrett, him and Zion Williamson, he appears to be like the most complete player of those three, whether it's you know, shooting, playing defense, rebounds, steals, and all those good things. Because, you know we've seen how well he's played in college, like before he had all these injuries starting to pile up and stuff like that. I can remember one uh, time specifically uh, when they played, when Duke played Louisville and they were down by like 25 and like with like 10 minutes left, they came back and won by three and like RJ Barrett had like the behind the back between the legs to Cam Reddish with to tie the game and stuff like that. Like those moments I think are going to help the Knicks, but they're already good. You know, they got RJ Barrett, they got Julius Randle, they got all their other weapons. And, you know, he could become like the guy, but, you know, like we've been saying, he's just got to stay on the court and stop uh, being out with all these injuries. Yeah. I mean, I think he never really got like a real chance in Atlanta mm-hmm. with, he had DeAndre Hunter in front of him. And it seemed like the Hawks like playing him more. And even going to New York now, they have, a crowded front court as well. So he's not going to see like 
the minutes he would in, in, in another situation where they don't have that depth. But I think, I think he's definitely going to get more of an opportunity to play and showcase what he can do this year. Cause he's, he's having a good season. He's averaging 12 and two and a half rebounds. Yeah. And while he's only shooting 40% from the field, he's shooting 38% from three and yeah, 90 and 90 from the line, which is crazy. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's like, that's a people who may not know, like that's a pretty good stat line for the amount of minutes that he's been playing as well. So can we, can we also talk about how I feel like this is just like, this is a trade made because the Hawks didn't want to have to pay Cam Reddish and they wanted to get something for him. Cause mm-hmm. the return they got is, I mean, the protected 2022 first rounder, the Hornets that might, that might fall back to the Hornets and Kevin mm-hmm. Knox is one of the biggest busts in recent mem- Not I wouldn't say one of the biggest, but he's definitely a decent bust. Yeah. He's not, he hasn't played up. Yeah. Kevin Knox is averaging three and a half points this season. He's just gone down since his rookie year. Yeah. He's not playing up to his potential at all. It, like from what they drafted him for anyway. So like, what, wait, what was your original like point you were going to bring up? I don't even remember. I just okay. started saying words and then <laughs> see where it went. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, is that all you got? That's all, that's I, all got. I got. All right. Sweet. So this is going to be the last episode. That's going to be strictly on Spotify in four days. We're going to be back in studio on 98.1 WQAQ. Four days. Yeah. Cause like this is this is coming out on Thursday. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, four days. We got four days until we're back in the studio. I can't wait to be finally back in person. You know, I, I don't know about you, Cameron, but I miss having the big soundboard in front of me, like the actual stand, the mic stands and all that stuff. It's I'm excited. I don't know about you. I know this is unrelated, but I was looking at my calendar to count the days. And for some reason, my Apple calendar thinks my birthday is on Thursday. It's not on Thursday. It is not. This is like, I was looking at something in like September in my calendar the other day. And it also thought my birthday was on someday in September. So I don't know what's going on with my calendar, but that has nothing to do with the outro of this podcast. Yeah, that's um, all right. Thank it's you all, right. all for tuning in. I am very much looking forward to being back in the studio next week. Uh, you yeah, can I catch us wait. from 7 to 8 p.m. on Monday on WQAQ.com, or you can catch it in podcast form next Wednesday. Um Thank you all for listening. I hope everybody has a good week. Yeah. So before we get out of here, I just want to say one more thing next week, we're going to try to get on another guest and I don't want to give away too many hints, but let's just say that our guest is somewhere in the field that we want to be in, in the future. And we'll just leave it at that. All right. How does that sound Cameron? Sounds great. Sounds good. All right. We'll see you guys in studio on Monday. If you want to listen live or Wednesday when our podcast comes back out. And, but until then stay safe and be nice to each other. Can't see me through my tits. I'm riding real slow. And my paint wet, dripping, shining like my 20 foes. I don't got 20 foes, but I'm on those folks. That's those big white walls. Round them hundred spokes. Old school, like old English in that brown paper bag. I'm rolling in that same whip that my granddad had. Hello.